in everybody to episode 20 20 the big 20 of the ASN podcast daily dan parlay pete how are you feeling all i'm gonna say is we are one week away from being legally able to buy alcohol and cigarettes so <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say about that the asn podcast turns 21 <laughs> almost soon but soon i'm good man how are you it's been it's been a little while but I think it kind of worked out in our favor because there was just so much news that we weren't going to be able to get to if we put an episode out earlier in the week. You know, obviously you think of Judge, you think of the way that the World Cup has been falling out, you know, Bogarts, all this big talk. And I'm so glad that we are doing this episode now because now we get to talk about the atrocity that was the Thursday night football game. So I, I like that we did this. It's a little bit of a different episode. It's not Definitely not engrossed with NFL talk like it usually is. Uh, we've decided to take a pass on last week for the most part because it's you know too far gone at this point. But it also kind of worked out in our favor. So if you guys are wondering what this episode's going to be about, it's really about what we're talking about. The Thursday Night Football game, we are going to make our picks, our locks of the week, live on this episode. Then we're going to talk about... Really everything that's going on in college football. So that's really, really exciting. Excited about that. All the coaching changes and everything too. Then we are going to talk about MLB free agency and really the frenzy that has only been like five deals, but they've been very, very impactful so far for sure. Over a billion dollars has been handed out so far in free agency already. And we haven't even gotten to winter meetings yet. So that's pretty interesting. And then uh, we are going to close with the World Cup and the miraculous rise of Morocco. So we're very excited about that. And But of course, this episode has to start with one burning question that just I always have to ask first and foremost, and that's, Dan, how are we doing? We are doing well. And actually, I'm, I'm like you, I'm excited for this, this setup of the episode. It you know, kind of reminds me of what we did before the NFL season. Uh, but I think it, it comes at the right time. There's so much going on, you know, huge deals in baseball, a ton going on in college football. You know, I was texting you last weekend because I have a lot of things to say about what's going on in college football between the playoff, between the coaching cycle. Um, and of course, we can't forget the World Cup's going on. And yes, I think with all that happening, the one thing on everybody's mind today, because we're recording this on a Friday morning, is what happened with the, with Baker Mayfield. And with the Raiders last night. Uh, so I told you before we started recording that I was going to lead off with this. And I know that you appreciate Raiders slander as much as I do. So I'm going to start it off by saying the Raiders have lost the following games this year. 
They led 20 to nothing against the Cardinals. They led 17 nothing against the Jags. They led 17 nothing against the Chiefs. They led 16 to 3 versus Baker Mayfield with like three plus minutes left. And they lost to the fighting Jeff Saturdays. Yeah, and I, I it has to know. be coaching. It has I to be coaching at that point. I already know that next year when I when I do the Raiders power ranking, whatever it is, some Raiders fans are going to come in and say, "Well, we we should have been eight and five, or we should have been nine and four. Yeah, right? shoulda, woulda, coulda." It, but this know. is what the Raiders do. This is exactly what they do. I think somebody uh, somebody commented on the Baker on the, the Rams Raiders post from last night. This game is a perfect example of what Raiders football looks like. It is. And it, well, especially this year. <laughs> no, but it's just so much. I mean, there are three coaches that should be one and done. I know we don't like doing one and dones, but Josh McDaniel, Nathaniel Hackett, and Lovey Smith all have to be one and done. They have been it's 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 horrible. They have been absolutely garbage. And I know that I've said earlier this year that the Raiders can't afford technically to fire Josh McDaniels because of the, the financial situation that they're in, make money, make room for it because the guy has to go. Yeah. And it's funny because when, when they went up uh, 13 to three early on and the offense actually looked pretty good, which means they scripted a few early drives and then forgot how to play. Uh, you, you, you kind of start thinking, all right, four wins in a row. Cause listen, let's be honest. I, I did not envision the Rams coming back in that game. You know, four wins in a row, six and seven. They can they can beat the Patriots because that's who they play next, I believe. Uh, and all of a sudden, you're you're legitimately right in the AFC playoff race. And my thought to that was, well, good for Josh McDaniels. He's kind of got them moving again. I know they're playing a lot of close games, uh, but four wins in a row is four wins in a row. And Devontae Adams looks great, and Josh Jacobs looks great. Uh, and then the whole thing cratered. I mean, they they Derek Carr, even after that really impressive start to the game. Uh, finished 11 of 20 for 137 yards and two interceptions. It was uh, kind of a bizarre performance. I think the biggest issue, though, uh, with that offense is that they, they kept giving it to Josh McDaniel, uh, sorry, to Josh Jacobs, who just didn't look healthy. For, he was yeah. dealing with two different injuries coming into the week. And then he and injured then, himself again. And then he injured his finger, and he, he had his the fingers taped up. He went in for an x-ray, which I would assume was uh, came back fine. But, you know, the fact that he needs to go in for an x-ray – and he was like shaking at his hand every time he touched the ball. Yeah. Uh, and they still kept giving it to him. I don't understand. You know, I, I know the thought process. All right. You're, you're, we're up 13 to three or 16 to three at that point, And we're going to run the ball because we want to run the clock down. But this includes all of the third quarter. This includes uh, the beginning of the fourth quarter when they ended up with the field goal. Um, at that point, your, your priority can't be let's run down the clock. There's too much clock to run down. It's got to be let's score points. And I know how good Josh Jacobs has been lately, but you've got Devontae Adams in your passing yeah. game. I don't care that Jalen Ramsey's covering him. And Ramsey actually did an okay job because two of the big catches Adams made were very contested. Yeah. Um, but that's how good he is. Devontae Adams is that good. So you have to keep throwing to him. Trust your quarterback. Uh, trust your top receiver. I know he's really all you have in the passing game. But it's just seemed like they got to a point where every play was, let's run Josh Jacobs up the middle, even though he was hurting. And yeah. averaging under four yards a carry. It was just it, it was a, a bad plan. You know, I have to agree with you 100% because if you go into this game through statistics and you look at league ag- averages and the way that these two teams have played this year, you look at 
the Rams, who, despite having some serious talent on defense, are close to dead last in passing yards allowed this year. And like you said, Josh Jacobs comes into the game. He's having a fabulous year. A lot of people even consider him to be the top running back so far this year. He's just been a do-it-all guy, you know, passing. I mean, in the passing game, running game, he's been sensational. Here's the thing. Even I, I get the game plan because Aaron Donald is out. I get it. You know, let's control the line of scrimmage. I understand that. But when you have a bottom five offensive line like the Raiders do against a defensive line that's still pretty good. I mean, Greg Gaines has to be one of the most underrated players in football. Uh, I know he plays a, a thankless position at nose tackle, but not only has he been really good this year, he was very, very good last night too. And, you know, Josh Jacobs, 27 carries for 99 yards is is not uh, it's ideal. And I'm not even talking about just for Josh Jacobs. I'm saying in general, that's you're force feeding Josh Jacobs, 27 carries, and he can't even break 100 yards. So the running game essentially wasn't working, and it almost seemed like, they were afraid to throw the football against the Rams, who have had a notoriously soft, you know, secondary this year. Even Jalen Ramsey hasn't been playing well this year. So you have Devontae Adams, who some still argue is the top wide receiver in the game. You have Mac Hollins, who's had a, a, a really, really good kind of like breakout year. I don't think anyone expected him to have the numbers that he's had so far. You know, Forster Moreau is whatever, but you have weapons in the passing game. I'm pretty sure Hunter Renfro came back last night too, right? Or was he? I don't know. I think he's still. I think he's still away. I, I well, I I heard that he he was designated off IR and he could have played last night. I'm not even. I'm not even sure if he did. Same thing with Darren Waller. He was taken off of IR and he could have played, but he didn't. Um, but you know, you got weapons in the passing game. Use them. I mean, besides for Jalen Ramsey, there's no one in that secondary that scared me at all. And even even so, you know, you got Devontae Adams against Jalen Ramsey. I'll take my shot <laughs> with Devontae yeah. Adams against them. Especially with some of those catches he was making last night. The one hand yeah. to grab, the one along the sideline. I mean, if he can do that, just keep throwing to him. Yeah, I, I don't know. It was just a very bizarre game plan. And it was kind of like like what you said. The scripted plays worked. And then after they were out of scripted plays, they forgot how to play football. Yeah. I mean, it was... It seems like the, the creativity disappeared, too, because early on, um, they were trying a few different things. They had an end around with Matt Hollins. They ran it yeah. three different times. Uh, the first two times, it went for 17 yards, and then the next one was something like seven yards. You know, these things caught the Rams off guard. They're working. Um, I'm not saying, you know, do an end around with Matt Hollins every other play, but, <laughs> you know, try some similar things out. And instead, it just became run Josh Jacobs up the middle because he had 229 yards two weeks ago, uh, even though he was you know, so banged up. Uh, but the, the defense, too, deserves some – I know we don't really have high expectations for the Raiders' defense, and they did a fine job early on, especially in the third quarter. They looked good. Uh, but they melted down in the fourth yeah. quarter. I mean, at the same time, too, as much credit as I want to give the Raiders' defense, I mean – did anyone know who Baker Mayfield was throwing to last night? You know, they're just so banged up on, on, on the offensive side. That's what makes, you know, kind of, kind of shifting gears and talking really about Baker kind of makes his performance that much more impressive to oh, the yeah. fact that he's been on the Rams for at the time of kickoff, probably less than 48 hours at that point. And he just came in there and it started off slow, you know, but he was still, I mean, he only had what 63 yards. He was like three of six for like 65 yards at halftime. 
But honestly, I was impressed with his game because the timing aspect of a lot, a lot of the routes that they were running were timing routes. And, you know, it's different. If Cooper Cup is on the field and you go, all right, fuck it. Cooper Cup is out there somewhere. I'm just going to throw it to him. It's different with someone like Cooper Cup. And when you got Ben Skarowak and I, I don't even know the other guy's name, that there's just white guys all over the field. <laughs> uh, I don't think Tyler Higby even had a catch or he had like one catch, you know, like, like it made it that much more impressive. And, uh, you know, Van Jefferson played a big part, obviously caught the game winning touchdown. Very impressive. 230 yards, a touchdown, only 10 incompletions throughout the game too. I I think Baker played very well. This isn't, this doesn't really change the way I feel about Baker yet, but you've got to be impressed with his performance last night. Yeah. I mean, we've seen comebacks before we saw, you know, if Tom Brady did what Baker Mayfield did uh, a few nights ago, but, to do it, you know, without really knowing your own teammates, without really knowing who you're throwing to, uh, 48 hours after that, uh, after the waiver claim, I mean that that kind of puts it up with with you know, some of the legendary comebacks. I don't care who it's against. To do that uh, after 40, you know, 48 hours after joining this team is is incredible. Um, yeah, you mentioned, you know, they don't have Cooper Cup out there. Ben Skoranek, who, who, by the way, really didn't look good at all in the playoffs last year. They had to use him a bit because Higby was out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made a catch on that last drive that looked like Cooper Cup. You know, he, he, yeah, that was a great it catch. Was, it was like a 50-50 ball that just kind of somehow ended up in his hands. So I'll give him credit for that. The, the throw and the catch by – well, the throw by Mayfield and the catch by Van Jefferson on that touchdown was, almost couldn't be more perfect. Yeah, I don't even know how that happened. Um, but you're right, Baker Mayfield – at the very beginning, he made some really impressive throws, um, you know, throws that probably John Wolford would have never made or Bryce Perkins would have never made. So that that alone kind of justified Sean McVay's decision to put yeah. it in there. Uh, and the third quarter was tough. It really I, – I, but even when the when the offense wasn't moving, it, it was hard to say that it was his fault. There was just too much going wrong all around. Uh, the offensive line wasn't doing a great job. He was – there's a sequence in the third quarter. I think he was sacked, and the next play he was under pressure immediately. Uh, not really his fault, but the way he he just dealt with it in the fourth quarter and adjusted and, and was making these throws, I thought what was impressive too is after that throw to Skronik that went for 32, 32 yards, um, he didn't just – even though the clock was running down, he didn't try to just chuck it downfield. I think they had 40 more yards to go. He didn't try to take end zone shots. He took what the defense gave him, even yeah. with the clock running with no timeouts. Uh, he had two passes up the middle that went for like eight and nine yards. It kept the clock going, but he he was smart. He didn't say, all right, well, we, we got to stop the clock. We got to throw to the sideline and this and that. Uh, he took what the defense gave him. He understood we're going to have to manage the clock if we do that. And he got down there with, I think it was like 23 seconds left. He the time they spiked it, it was 15 seconds left, and then he took his end zone shot. He made it we're seeing himself. We're seeing that a lot this year. I I think you. I think we've talked about this in weeks prior that a lot of teams. I, I mean, this this is a very random thing to say, but I feel like when I watch a football game now, I don't see the offense spiking the ball nearly as much as I've seen yeah. in in years prior. They're just taking what the defense is giving them because. I mean, Baker Mayfield played that that final. I mean, a ninety-eight yard, you know, game-winning drive with no timeouts left. I mean, that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, shout out to to Jerry Tillery who smacked the ball out of Baker's hands, moved them, moved the Rams up fifteen yards. 
Uh, that penalty changed a lot of things. Ah, good old Jerry Tillery. There's no, nothing says a first round bust like a defensive lineman on the Raiders, right? Well, I, I, saw of, I saw I, a lot of Chargers fans saying, "Yeah, we're used to that." We're yeah, that's that. what I was going to say. Especially in SoFi Stadium. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say I know he was he was a draft pick of the Chargers a few years back, but you know, just any bust winds up winds up finding themselves on the Raiders at some at some point in their career. I feel like on that defensive line, but. You know, kind of moving past this game, I, I think it was. I, I think you kind of have to roll with Baker for the rest of the season if you're if you're Sean McVay. Uh, I mean, he's definitely earned another start that's absolutely apparent. And who knows, this could be the start of something special for for Baker Mayfield in L.A. I know that you know Matt Stafford and his insanely engrossed contract is still there, but you know you're going to have to make some business decisions in the off season because you don't have a lot of money. You have essentially no draft picks. It could be this could be a, a, a salary shedding move in in more ways than we think, but that's that's a conversation for another day. Um, really wanted to move on to talking about our live lock of the week's picks for week. What are we in? Fourteen now. We are in week. Well, yeah, we're in week fourteen. Week fourteen of the NFL season, and I'm going to start with you, Dan, to see what you want to think of i think i'm going to go with the uh titans titans minus four titans by four against the jaguars um seems like a really good opportunity for a bounce back game at home titans just lost two in a row mike Vrabel kind of chewed them out after getting blown out by the eagles uh they fired gm john robinson which is a very interesting decision but i hope it it puts some guys on notice um, and then on the other side of things, Jaguars got blown out by the Lions. I think they're a decent team. I picked them over the Ravens. Uh, but Trevor Lawrence, he – I don't even know what the injury is. His foot maybe? Um, I don't know. Something with the leg. He he says he's going to play, but he hasn't practiced this week. And it's not like he's been limited. He As of uh, coming into Friday, he just hasn't practiced this week. I believe him when he says he'll play. But how effective can you be if you're not even able to be limited yeah. in practice? Um, especially against a, a really good Titans defense. I, I don't blame them for imploding against the Eagles. The Eagles have just been that good. Um, so back at home with Mike Vrabel looking to, to get those guys to bounce back, I think the Titans will win that one pretty comfortably. All right. That's a, I mean, it's, it's as safe as you can get, Dan. I mean, I really appreciate you. Well, that's what the lock this. of the week is. We, you know, we I know, I know, I know, I know. I've gone over this with so many people too. Um, it, on Twitter and stuff, people are like, how are those locks of the week? I'm like, well, you know, I'm like, it, you got to take some risks. And people are like, that's not what a lock of the week is. I'm like, just leave me alone. I'm like, how about that? But <laughs> so me, there is no bigger lock. Now this is, this could be a completely ice cold take by the next, by the next episode, by the legal age limit episode. Uh, I'm going with the Vikings plus two over the Lions. I'm going to take the bait. I know that the Detroit Lions are – oh, wait, what did I say? Did I say the Lions over the, the Vikings? I meant the Vikings plus two over the Lions. Let me say that one more time. I know that the Lions are home. I know that it was a closely contested game uh, in week two. But as we talked about before, this is going to be the Justin Jefferson breakout game against against the Lions. He had three catches for 14 yards in week two. He's going for 10 and 200 this week. I'm, I'm going to say it right now. He's, I mean, the Lions defense has been playing exponentially better the last four weeks than it has been 
all season. It's almost like they kind of just like flipped a switch where it was like, I'm tired of giving up 40 points and 500 yards a game. Let's try a little bit more. And, you know, they, they look a lot better. They still have a lot of holes. Um, but Jeff Okuda has been playing very, very well so far this year. Uh, finally kind of showing us why he maybe not a top three pick, but why he should have been a first-round talent. But besides that, anytime you give me points for the Vikings, I'm going to take it because the Vikings are the kings of one-score games. So I think that even, even if they win by a field goal, you still get the points with it too. So I think the Vikings like to play close games. I, I think it excites them. It ignites them. I, have we ever seen the Vikings in a in a blowout game besides for their loss against the Eagles this year? Every single – oh, and, and their and the huge Cowboys. loss against the Cowboys. <laughs> I mean, on the winning side, they have not won a game, I don't think, more than one score the entire year. And you go back last year, basically every single one of their games last year was a one-score game. This is a team that loves – one score games. And I'm all I have to bank on is the Vikings scoring three more points than than the Detroit Lions. And that's what I'm gonna say. I'm, I'm gonna say Vikings plus two. The fact that they're even underdogs against this Lions team is crazy to me. They obviously know something that we don't, but I'm gonna take the bait and I'm gonna take it. Yeah, it feels like every time they've been doubted, well, maybe besides against the Eagles and Cowboys, but every every time they've been doubted. And people think, well, it's going to catch up to them this week. Uh, they they make it happen. And I'm looking at their scores. Every single win is by one possession, uh, except <laughs> for that one, week one win over the Packers, yeah. which is 23 to 7. Uh, their margins of victory after that are 4, 3, 7, 8, 8. You know, 8 is still technically a possession, but I'll give it. it is. Some of those games weren't that close. Um, 3, 3. Seven five, and the the five against the Jets was even closer than that. the five was really just one yard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, though the five was if if five different red zone opportunities had if only one of them had turned into a touchdown. Well, you know, I don't know why Mike Lafleur has Braxton Berrios in goal line packages, but I digress. So we're not going to talk about that. No, it's a happy I'm, day. I'm still thinking about how they had. Uh, I think it was third and goal from like the 16, and they ran a, you know, they had like a screen pass. That was obviously going to get nowhere. Anyway, yeah, I don't. I don't even want to talk about it, uh, especially since I have to play the Buffalo Bills this week. So I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to talk about it. But I think this is a perfect time to move on to our next topic. And really, Dan, this is all led by you because I know how excited you are to talk about this. We've been talking about it really for the last ten days. So we're going to start to get into what the heck has been going on in the college football scene over the past two weeks. Yeah, well, we have we have four playoff teams, and thankfully, thankfully, Alabama is not one of them. Isn't it great? We all great? we all we all don't like Alabama. I get it. <laughs> um, you know, they, nobody likes to see nobody likes to see teams like that just win every year. But if they were a deserving playoff team, I'd say so. Thank oh, of course. Not. Uh, people people tried to make this case after after TCU lost to Kansas State that oh well you know if if TCU and Alabama played each other who would be favored that's not how this works yeah um, TCU first of all I don't I think I think whatever the spread would be I think TCU would cover I legitimately believe that um, but Alabama lost two games to two non playoff teams Tennessee and LSU who are good teams but they're not playoff teams. Um, and TCU's only loss came against 
a 10-win Big 12 champion. Yeah. Of course, they're Big 12 champions because they won that game. But a 10-win Big 12 champion that they already beat in the regular season. So they their only loss is a team that they went 1-1 one and one against. Um, and then on top of that, they played one common opponent, TCU and Alabama. And it was Texas. And TCU hammered Texas. They, they yeah. held them, I think, without a touchdown until something like the, the last few minutes of the game, if they yeah. even got one. Um, and Alabama almost lost to Texas without Quinn Ewers, who's um, Texas starter, who's much better than, than Hudson Card, who's the backup. He, Ewers only played the beginning of the game. And man. Alabama still barely survived that one. Uh, so I, I don't really want to hear this. This I, Well, I didn't want to hear this talk about how Alabama uh, is the better team because they'd be favorite. They'd, the line would be less against uh, Georgia or whoever. I think we could also say, as in regards to last year where Cincinnati was the last team, in the playoff. Um, yeah, great story. You know, AAC champions, all that kind of stuff. They couldn't shine at the shoes of any of those three opponents last year. But TCU is a very viable opponent. Yeah. Like they, I, I, they are a legitimate yes. powerhouse football team. Yeah, I think that game is going to be closer than people think. I'm not predicting yeah. that they win. I think it, it, it does. Maybe I will, but it does look like Michigan and Georgia are the two best teams in the country right now. And Georgia yeah. is the clear number one. Uh, but TCU is legitimately good. And, you know, there is this sense earlier in the year among people when they were scoring like 55 points a game, like, oh, there's just one of those big 12 teams that doesn't play defense and they're going to get cooked by whoever. Not true. No, all of a sudden, the, you know, maybe not against Kansas State, but the defense was what was kind of winning them some of those games the, yeah. down the stretch, especially against Texas. That game was almost nobody was scoring in that game. I think they yeah. went something like, I forget if it was scoreless going into halftime, but it was very close to it. Uh, they can play defense. They have NFL NFL talent on the offense because Quentin Johnston is, might be the number one receiver in this draft. Kendra Miller looks like an NFL running back, and uh, Max Duggan is probably not an NFL talent, but he's a ridiculous talent with in college yeah. football. Isn't it crazy how like guys like Max Duggan that like have like you said like have crazy talent and you know, put up all these stats and everything, and then they go, like, undrafted. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, hard, like, it's hard to play quarterback in the NFL. It's so fun. It's just so funny how that works. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited. Really, the, 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 the opportunist in me wanted them to make uh, TCU – what was it? TCU 4 and Ohio State 3, so Michigan and Ohio State could play each other. Uh, I really wanted that. To be the case, isn't that what it is? It's Ohio State versus Georgia and Michigan, and ugh, I really would have loved to see, you know, them just kind of push Ohio State a little bit further. But, but you uh, know, what? I, but, but if we had like if we had Georgia and TCU, like I I agree with you. But if we had Georgia and TCU, that's a blowout. And and I love TCU. Like I I if I haven't made it clear already, I'm much yeah. higher on them than most people. But if they play Georgia, you know, they don't have a chance to win a game. I think the cool part now. Is that these are these both games have a chance to be competitive? I won't say they will be competitive because we've seen college football playoff games that should be competitive, and they turn into these messes. They 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 turn into these awful games. But at least you go into the, into that day with both games having a chance to be competitive. Oh, I think absolutely. Ohio, Georgia. I don't. I, I think Georgia wins the championship. I don't think they're nearly as dominant as they were last year. But if they win, it's because I don't really see another dominant team either. Well, I mean, look at how much look at how much talent 
they lost for the draft, especially on the defensive side. Yeah, and you then know. Nolan Smith went down, who was their top edge rusher. Yeah. You know, I know and they then, still have Jalen Carter up front, but oh, oh god, don't even get me started on Jalen Carter. <laughs> Jalen Carter, I, I said it previously that Jalen Carter is probably my favorite prospect that I've ever watched film on before. And that includes guys like Aaron Donald and stuff like that. And people are like, you're nuts. I'm like, I don't know if you watch it. I'm like, <laughs> it's it's pretty unbelievable. But I mean, Jalen Carter, Keely Ringo, you know what I'm saying? You got um, you know, Tyke Smith in the in the secondary as well. Just all there's NFL talent all over the field still. And they yeah. lost so much talent. Uh next year, I think, is really where they're going to yeah. to, to struggle a little bit more because now this ends the, the streak of NFL talent. Not to say that they don't have budding NFL talent on their defense, but you know, it's gonna take a year or two. Now these NFL ready guys are all going to be gone next year. So It'll be interesting to see, but my personal opinion, I think that Georgia far and away is the best football team in the country. And I don't think that, I don't really don't think anyone's going to come close to stopping them. I just think, especially, especially just because of how good they are defensively, you know, we're going to get into the Heisman talk in a minute with Stenson Bennett uh, and how I think that he is a god all, he's, it it is, it is insulting that he is a a finalist for the Heisman trophy, but uh, you know, He's not that great, but they make him look that much better, you know. But yeah, George. I mean, there was there was a tweet that I saw earlier this week that said if the Houston Texans minus twenty eight played Georgia, who would cover the spread? And I mean, like you don't see those type of tweets unless a team is actually really that good. Obviously, the Houston Texans would destroy the Georgia Bulldogs, but it's so funny when you see things like that. Yeah. Now, did you see? Did you see Jalen Carter in the? I, I don't blame you if you weren't watching the SEC championship game. It wasn't a good one. But Jalen Carter came in and lifted up uh, LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels into the air with one arm. See, like, this, is how, I know, see, this is how I know that you don't pay attention to any of my tweets because I tweeted it saying that Jalen Carter – people. Oh, my God. This is unbelievable. Dan, I see all of your tweets. I'm just kidding. You should turn on your notifications. I no. Have, I have them no, I mean, that was just, like, hilarious. And he held he's them got, up like a trophy pretty much, too. He's got like, Jaden Daniels in one arm, and he's celebrating with the other arm. Yeah, I, I've I've never seen anything like that. I think, I'm surprised Jaden Daniels even let him try do that. Move. <laughs> we, like, we should see that happen more. But he let him do that, that which was weird. Like, why did he let him do that? <laughs> <laughs> Daniels was like he was like either smiling or wincing when he was up there. I couldn't tell if he was in pain or if he was just. I'm hoping it was wincing because if he's smiling while another man is holding him up off the ground, then we have some we have some different discussions to have. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, getting back to it, I, I I think that Georgia versus Michigan in the championship is a much more appealing prospect than anything else. But well, now we have to talk about this the Heisman finalist here. I mean, we have to because, you know, I feel like there are just so many more people that were deserving of 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 a finalist spot than Stenson Bennett. I mean, and like, his name is Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker. I don't care that he played eleven games. Bryce Young played eleven games. You want to talk about someone that's injured that deserved? Blake Corum is another guy. Yeah. Blake Corum, Muhammad Ibrahim as well. I mean, there's just so many guys, Chase Brown, so many guys that could have been, hell, I'd even put Drake May in there over, 
over Stenson Bennett, and he didn't even play that great the last like three weeks of the season. He was rough. He he cost himself. He would have been a finalist. He cost himself in those last three. I mean, Stenson Bennett is just. Oh man, I wish I had the the meme that I I oh it was like um it said Stenson Bennett is a twenty five year old man uh, going up against five star eighteen year olds and leading the Georgia Bulldogs to the at the national championship and I love it or something like that it was something really funny but like I don't know man Stenson Bennett is just like it's a cool story like that you know his last few years is a really cool story but. I think Stenson Bennett is awful. And I think that there were so many more people that were deserving. Hell, I'd even put Marvin Harrison Jr. up there as a Heisman finalist over Stenson Bennett. You know, I I don't think he's awful, but he sucks. But he, <laughs> the the weird thing is, and what, what concerns me, I think Heisman voters generally get it right. And there hasn't really been a um a winner that I've disagreed with in a long time. Yeah. Um, but what surprises me is like, okay. If he put up huge numbers because it's if he wasn't that good, but he put up huge numbers because it's Georgia and they're thirteen and zero, okay, like I see it. He didn't really have the numbers. Like it's only Georgia wins that got. That's him. what I'm saying. He had twenty touchdowns and six interceptions. If I have that correct, maybe that may you know maybe that was before the final game. Maybe he added on to that and had like twenty four. Even so, but, it's not that impressive. He didn't. He didn't have the numbers. Like that's the strange thing. You know, we've seen guys put up system numbers in college. Um, but he, you know, usually don't see somebody become a Heisman finalist with 20 touchdown passes or whatever it is, unless you're running for another 20 touchdowns, which he didn't do. Um, so that's the, that's the odd thing that concerns me. Cause like, if you, if you had an even more wide open race, you know, are we just going to hand it to somebody now who, who's the quarterback of the 13 and 0 team? So I'm a little worried about that going forward, uh, in the future, but let me say this, what happened um, last weekend, the in championship weekend was that was college football. What Caleb Williams did, what Max Duggan did, and both of them lost. Which, yeah. which is that that gives me a little more, um, a little more confidence in the Heisman process because it, Caleb Williams is going to win. You know, for anybody who doesn't know, or for anybody who's listening to this before Saturday evening, Caleb Williams will be the Heisman Trophy winner. At the yeah, absolutely. Are, the odds are too great. Uh, for anything else to happen at this point. But the fact that, um, one, the fact that he lost and they're still going to give it to him gives me a little more confidence that we're not just handing this out to whoever wins the most games. Um, And number two, what they did last weekend was college football at its best. Caleb Williams fighting through injury, um, and a a serious injury, I believe. He he kind of popped his hamstring. It's not serious enough that it'll keep him out of the bowl game, uh, but he didn't look like he belonged on a football field. Yeah, the fact that he was able to play through that um, and kind of lead USC back. The issue with USC was the defense. Now, if he was healthy, I think they still would have won. But the fact that he was able to keep USC in that game on one leg is remarkable. And then Max Duggan uh, on on Saturday against Kansas State, um, leading them back with a that last drive to tie the game was basically all him. Yeah. Um, he was also playing hurt. You know, he didn't look fully healthy. It didn't look that serious. He'll be fine for the playoff game. But uh, he, he definitely was not 100%. They were they were trying to carry him off the field after that game-tying drive. What he did with his legs, with his arm, even in a losing effort, was amazing. I mean, really, he, he put the entire team on his back. They were doing nothing to help him. Uh, besides the defense at the end was, getting, was making some plays. But on offense, it was all Max Dunning. 
I mean that that it, it was a, it was legendary stuff, and it's the kind of stuff where you know if they if they want a playoff game this year, I feel like they they'd have to build a statue for him because he he was almost willing them to a comeback win that they really didn't deserve. Uh, so, I mean, Max Duggan, we talked about him not being really an NFL prospect. He's probably going to go down to somebody who's, you know, the peak of his career, football career is that game uh, against Kansas State, even in a loss. But what what he did was just was was yeah. amazing. I, I just I'd love to see him and Caleb Williams fighting through injury. Max, listen, Max Duggan had me up like he got me up out of my seat. I was like I was pacing back and forth on Saturday in that game because he you don't got me seem tired like- up. You don't seem like such an excitable guy, so that's such a hard concept for me no, to grab. He wanted me to go in and like play quarterback. I mean, it, but, it was it was an inspirational performance. But no, it, so it absolutely it absolutely was, and I, I have to agree with you. And it's so funny on the flip side because you got two guys who put their absolute body on the line, their heart out there. They played a million and ten percent between Caleb Williams and Max Duggan, and you look at. Caleb Williams and now Caleb Williams, a lot of people are considering him already the top prospect for next year in the NFL draft. And not only that, there was some real high praise for him. I was, re- I've been doing up until the last couple of weeks, I'm not going to lie. And even so I still wasn't the highest on Caleb Williams. And the only reason why is because of the amount of talent that is, has surrounded him the last couple of years. But at the same time, I mean, you can make the argument for Bryce Young. You can make the argument for CJ Stroud as well. You can make the argument for any top quarterback with the amount of talent that they have around them. But, you know, the last few weeks really showed me something and he, he really is great. And uh, it's, it's really high praise. I saw a scout say on Twitter that he might be the greatest quarterback prospect he's ever looked at before. And this is a guy that, has been around for a really long time. So he's seen the greats, you know, we're not going back as far as like Peyton Manning and stuff, but he's seen some of the greats from, from, you know, the two thousands and on. So that's really, really interesting to see. I think that's too high praise. I've seen some Andrew Luck comparisons, you know, a more athletic Andrew Luck. I think that's a pretty decent comparison, but Caleb Williams is fantastic. Max Duggan is fantastic. I think that, yeah, Caleb. I, and this is tell me not. This has been a weird year for Heisman because there really hasn't been someone that separated themselves from the pack for the entire season. I feel like there was a lot of weeks where we were looking at Drake May, then it was Bryce Young, then it was C.J. Stroud, then it was you know Caleb Williams. It was just your rankings. I feel like in years past have been pretty straightforward, top two or three, and then the rest in, is interchangeable. This year it was all over the place all year. Yeah, and because of that, because I do the rankings, I follow the race really closely over the years. And the one that, first of all, C.J. Stroud was number one for 10 weeks out of 12. But Mm -hmm. it was kind of a, he still needs to prove himself number one. It was like, okay, he's got the numbers, but this is assuming he plays, well, I shouldn't say assuming because it's not really meant as a projection. But, you know, he only really holds on to it if he plays well against Michigan. He was very shaky against Michigan. Um, that opened the door, and we all knew that that would open the door. But behind him, it kept shuffling. Now, Hendon Hooker yeah. was number two for a while, but not yeah. not the last couple of weeks. Um, Caleb Williams, actually, out of out of everybody, I was kind of looking back at all the rankings that I did. I don't think he he barely stayed in one place every week. He went from like three to five to three to eight. He was eight early in the year after he had a really tough game against Oregon State back when there wasn't much of a sample size, but. He was moving up and down and up and down, and he played his best football at the end of the year. And, you know, so I've done the Heisen rankings for nine years now. And the, the race that this reminds me of the most is 2018, because 2018, 
that's a little different because it wasn't really much of a jumbled mess in 2018. But every every week, the whole thought process was, oh, Tua is running away with this. Tua's got the numbers. He's got the talent. Um, he's got the talent around him. Tua is going to be the Heisman. Just give it to him now. Uh, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the year, the big game that he he was playing, he didn't really perform in. Uh, which I think was the SEC championship where Jalen Hurts actually came in to replace him um, in kind of a poetic justice to the year before when Tua <laughs> replaced Jalen Hurts. Um, and Kyler Murray played his best football at the end of the year, talented group around him, just like Caleb Williams. He, he really turned it on at the end of the year. Um, and he he kind of just came and took it from he, – he passed Tua and he just took it from him at the end of the year. That's what Caleb Williams did. We went from – Okay, CJ Stroud, clear favorite, maybe Hendon Hooker can win. To all of a sudden, well, Caleb Williams is, is clearly better than Stroud. The Stroud might not even be the runner up. It might be Max Duggan. It probably will be Max Duggan. Um, I can't wait so, until Stenson Bennett wins the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm, I'm done. The, the, the Heisman rankings have, have been posted for the final time if Stenson Bennett wins. He, it, it's over. It's done. It will never happen again. If Stetson uh, Bennett wins, I think he's going to finish fourth, though. I hope he's going to finish fourth. I really hope he doesn't finish over Stroud and Duggan. I really hope. I really hope not. No, I. I think to be honest, I love Max Duggan. Like I, I'm, I'm big into TCU. I love underdogs. No, really, I couldn't tell. But, but if if Max Duggan had won that game, I, I'm afraid that people actually would have given him the Heisman, and yeah. I don't think he would have deserved yeah. it. I, think, and I, I, I love think Max you're right Duggan. About that. I don't think he would have deserved the Heisman um, if if they won that coin flip game over Kansas State, um, you know, unless he came out and threw five touchdowns. But he didn't really play. the The final numbers weren't great. His fourth quarter was was yeah, great. Yeah. But he he actually did struggle a little bit in the second and third quarter. So I'm a little, if anything, it, it kind of saves us that they didn't win that game because he still got into the playoffs. But I, I kind of would have been a a fake Heisman if they yeah. would have given him that. Um, Caleb Williams is the deserving winner, so you know it all works out in the end. Yeah. But I thought I thought it was inspirational football by those two last weekend. I yeah, I definitely have to agree with you on that, and I I do think Caleb Williams is. I mean, just the season that he's had overall. I know it's been up and down some weeks, but he's the deserved Heisman Trophy winner. Now, I want to ask you a couple things. Now, obviously, we want to talk about the whole. Uh, coaching carousel that's been going on in college football. Obviously headlined by Deion Sanders going from Jackson State to Colorado and essentially bringing his entire Jackson State football team with him over to Colorado. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I am. I, I just have to come out and say I'm not a fan of the way that it works. I'm not a fan. I think. Do I think Deion deserves a true FBS Power 5 team? To go to, you know, sure, I do. I think he has done a great job at Jackson State. He made FCS football basically relevant again, just with his name. And he's already made Colorado a relevant program again, just with his name. And that's really where his coaching comes into play, where it's really namesake. Well, we'll get the players to you because you're Deion Sanders. You know what I mean? Like, you kind of get what I'm saying by that, right? It's like the namesake. You're just He has incredible recruitment value. And he adds to a program. You know, I, I saw the video from, from when he arrived. 
I just wasn't a fan of of the way that he was talking to these Colorado teams. I mean, you could you could say that I'm soft for saying that, but basically, essentially, just saying, "Hey, you're replaced by my Jackson State football team." That's basically what it was. He was like, "Listen, you know, I got guys coming, so that's pretty much it." Like that. That's basically, in, in a nutshell, what he was saying. You know, he was mapping out what he wants for the program, and I I, I respect that and I like that. But then basically being like, you know, my guys are coming. So your days are numbered here. You might as well just, he said that transfer portal is open. So you guys might as well take advantage of it. I mean, they went one and 11 though. I'm not sure. No, no, they were, they were hot garbage. Don't don't get me wrong. They were hot trash, but (laughs) you know, it's not often that you say that Colorado state was better than Colorado, but this is one of those weird years where you could say that, but you know, they are awful. And maybe that is the swift kick in the ass that those guys need, but I don't know, man. I just, I don't know. It kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I, I, I don't know. But that's Dion being Dion, though. At the same time, yeah, I, I'm very excited about it and about this move. Just to see, just as a fan of the sport, to see oh, how definitely. it plays out. I mean, we we really haven't. We've never seen this before. I mean, let's be honest. We've seen outside the box coaching hires, um, but three years ago, you look like you're think, ready to think about it like this. I had to spit my ice cube out for for this <laughs> joke. Think about it like this. In one to two years' time, Dion will probably be the head coach of Nebraska football. <laughs> well, you know what? Colorado's I think Colorado knows that because they put in a, a clause where he basically has to like pay them back money if he leaves in the next few years. Yeah. Um, so good for them. But um I, I, I feel like we we we've seen outside the box coaching hires, but we haven't seen this before. And three years ago, um his name was connected to Florida State a little bit, uh, back when he was just an analyst. I don't know if he was still with NFL Network or what. But when uh, when they fired Willie Taggart in 2019, his name was connected to Florida State, and people were like, "What?" Like people reacted like when the the that one day Condoleezza Rice's name was connected to the Browns coaching job a few years <laughs> ago, um, and all of a sudden he earned his way. I know it's the I know it's FCS football, but he earned his way up to a Power Five job to the point where people aren't saying this is insane, or at least a few you know most people aren't. Um, so I I, I kind of love to see. Well, he didn't have to do this. He didn't have to to become a coach. He's got plenty of money. He's got plenty of fame. He could do uh, a commercial for somebody and make millions right now. Yeah. He did not have to do this. Oh, I, but, lo- I love it as a fan of college football. I'm just saying his message towards the players at Colorado were, was a little bit derivative of, of yeah. what I – I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Yeah. But he – you know, he also could have said, look, I'm, I have this very comfortable position at Jackson State – uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait until you know if Florida State wants me eventually or some big program wants me eventually I'll do it but for now I'm here. He he chose to go to one and eleven Colorado in a you know I, the Pac-12 gives him a, a real opportunity when USC and UCLA leave to take over that conference. How much money do you think they gave him? Oh, I think it's something like what five million a year. I think they said. I think he went because I think I saw that he went from three hundred k a year to like five million. It has so to then, be more. So that's it has to be like a lot. I mean, Kirby Smart's making like ten million. They're not they're not giving him Kirby Smart money. I, it's Colorado, though. <laughs> I mean, exactly. So five million is five. I mean, five million is more than probably than Colorado ever envisioned giving somebody. I can only imagine what they were paying Carl Durrell, who was who was their coach, uh, who was fired in October. I guarantee you, it wasn't five million. Uh, that was he was kind of hired as a as oh Mel Tucker just left us and we need to find somebody. God, how many teams has Mel Tucker coached in the last like 
10 years. I feel like his name has just been everywhere. He's been the Bears defensive coordinator. I think he's been with the Jaguars. He's been Georgia's Michigan defensive State, coordinator. Right? He's been Colorado's coach. He's been Michigan State's coach. Yeah, yeah he's been around. But um, I, I think I, I think this is this is going to be a lot of fun just to see what happens. Um, now, let me ask you because sure. I I'm seeing a lot. There was a lot of people on social media um, who are you know let's say fans of HBCUs. They're they're they want HBCUs to succeed, um, and that that's kind of their that's kind of what they're invested in. They were very unhappy with him, and they feel like like he used Jackson State. You know, he came in saying. Oh, you know, God called me here um, to help Jackson State to help help build up HBCUs, um, and they feel like he was just. Uh, and I'm saying, not saying this is everybody, but there's a large segment on social media that is saying we feel used by Deion Sanders, and he never re- really actually cared <clears throat> about HBCUs or about Jackson State or about uh, SWAC, which is what the conference is that has a lot of HBCUs. He he put out shirts that said, you know, I'm SWAC or whatever. Um, and then he left for Colorado. I, you know, I have thoughts on this. You probably already know them, but there is there are some people who feel slighted by it and feel like he used them. What, what do you what do you think about that? How many of those people have played like football at all? How is my question is when when Deion Sanders goes in and he says, "Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that." At the end of the day, he's a football coach. And at the end of the day, he's using Jackson State as a stepping stone for something bigger. You, you know what I mean? And this is this doesn't only happen here. It happens everywhere. And it doesn't only happen in football. It happens at every job as well. What would you like him to say when he first got there? What did you want him to say? You know what? I'm just going to come here, stay here for a couple of years. And when a better offer comes, that's what I'm going to take. I honestly thought at first it was more of a publicity stunt to get, to get Deion Sanders as the coach of Jackson State. To be quite to be quite honest with you, actually turned out to be a massive move for not only the conference, but for the school itself, the players. So in a way, he did help all this because he shed some light, some much needed light on those programs. And I know it was just for Jackson State, but you know, it's not often that you see an FCS team on on ESPN or just on on any television station at all. You know, he did get light shed to those programs and to those players and everything. So maybe I don't know what way they wanted him to help, like in in all seriousness. I think they wanted him to stay there forever. I mean, based on but, but he did. He made FCS football and all those programs relevant just by him being there, just with his star power. So you know, and think about think about how much money Deion Sanders brought to Jackson State. Yeah, they have a brand new facility. He gave yeah. he gave some of his salary back into uh, building those facilities there that are yeah. going to be still standing after he's gone. So I, I think my 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 true answer to this is I don't think that those people really understand what Deion Sanders was going to bring to Jackson State. And at the end of the day, what he ultimately brought to them. So I think that it's just people just spewing bullshit out of their ass like they usually do. Uh, I think he did a great job for for Jackson State. I know he was only there, what, if he was there a few years, right? Three three years. I think he did a tremendous job. And he did more for Jackson State than what a lot of other 
coaches would do for any FC FBS program, honestly. Yeah. A lot of people had issue with him saying when he first got there that God called him there. But, you know, by that standard, then, you know, when God calls you, calls you somewhere, do you have to stay there forever? I don't think that's true. You know, he said, he actually said the same thing with Colorado, that he feels like he's being called there. And, you know, good for him. I mean, if he feels that way, I, I, I like I said before, I really respect him taking on the challenge. He didn't yeah. have to do this and he didn't have to go to Colorado either. You know, it could have went to Cincinnati where they've already established something and they're going into the Big 12 and they've got all this momentum. He didn't have to go to a place where they're 1-11 and and they're really not that relevant. Um, but I, I, I respect him taking on the challenge. And I think That's a lot right. of people criticizing this you know, from the, from the Jackson State perspective, I, I, I feel like they almost don't follow, follow college football very well and they're only aware of what's going on at Jackson State. I mean, college – coaches rise through the ranks all the time. Like what he said, they filmed his, his address to the players at Jackson state. He said, uh, in the, in this business, you either get elevated or you get terminated. That's completely it. You got to look out for yourself. I understand yeah. like it's kind of far fetched to say Jackson state would ever get rid of Deion Sanders, but you know, you, you have to look out for yourself who knows if what some scandal pops up and they want to move on from him. You either get elevated or you get terminated. Perfect, perfect way to put it. That is a um, perfect way to put it. But I had this interaction with somebody on Instagram, and he said, um, how is he going to promise all these kids a chance to be committed and play for him on a team when he himself isn't committed to the team? Like, this is the first time these people have have figured out that coaches leave. Like, every, every <laughs> coaching hires – look, Cincinnati, uh, Wisconsin hired Luke Fickle from Cincinnati – and then Cincinnati hired Scott Satterfield from Louisville. And then Louisville hired Jeff Brom from Purdue. Like this is how this is why it's called the coaching carousel. You're hiring coaches away from other programs. And people had a point in the past. Why can coaches move freely, but players can't? Because you know, players used to have to sit out a year if they transferred. Because they're supposed to be there to go to school. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, why at yeah, the end of the day. The they have the portal. So they they move more than coaches do. They move yeah. more, you know. Half of Jackson State could have just left, if, even if Deion Sanders stayed. They have that right to do that. Dude, look so, at JT Daniels. Isn't he moving on again? Yes. Yeah. I, well, I think he is. He, he at least considered it. Listen, was that his seventh year of eligibility? There's a guy in college basketball. I, I forget his name. He went from Georgetown to Maryland to somewhere else and then back to Georgetown. I mean, this is what they do. Now, I don't know why you'd ever go back to Georgetown with the way they're playing, but – you know, this is this is what happens in, in college sports now because of the way the portal's set up. These guys can leave whenever, so why can't coaches? Yeah. Um, and he said, so this is the interaction I had with the random commenter. Um, he said, bro, it's not when it's not often when one of the greatest football players of all time gives you the opportunity to play for him. These kids were looking forward to playing for him, and he left like it was nothing. Uh, He's probably taking those players with him to Colorado. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one thing. But being Deion Sanders doesn't mean that you have to be held to a higher standard. He's essentially saying, well, other coaches can leave, but he's one of the greatest football players of all time. So he asked, it's unfair to the kids he has to stay. That's not true. You get to do whatever you want. You, if you're a coach, you can leave. You can come as you go, stay as you – just because you're Deion Sanders doesn't mean you have to be held to a higher standard. So I, I think that's what people are doing people here. Mind. I think you have a lot of NPCs that comment on your posts. Well, because yeah, I, I mean, I mean, a lot of times I'll I'll look through the comments of like some of the spicier storylines that you post, and I'm just like, my God, I'm like, how does this man do this without <laughs> like, how does he filter through these comments without <laughs> without losing his mind? 
Yeah. So that, but, but that one, that idea, well, that, that person's argument was kind of ridiculous. He, he essentially opened himself up to saying, I think Deion Sanders should be held to a higher standard because he's uh, a former player that kids want to play for. But, you know, there is a real population of people that believes he, he kind of used Jackson state, which I, I think is just ridiculous. I mean, he helped them more than any other coach would, but you know, we've already hashed that out. So, yeah. But like I mentioned before, interesting coaching moves, um, Matt Rule to Nebraska, which is kind of the perfect fit, I think. Uh, Wisconsin got Luke Fickle away from Cincinnati, which created that whole firestorm that I talked about, which puts Jeff Brom, who's from Louisville, in Louisville. Uh, Scott Satterfield, who Louisville fans wanted gone anyway, is now gets a fresh start in Cincinnati. Um, Hugh Freeze, we, I, yeah. I think this happened when we did the last episode or maybe two episodes ago. Uh, he's in Auburn now, which is – which is all kinds of chaotic. I think that's going to be a lot of fun too. This coaching cycle sets us up for like all these kind of crazy entertaining storylines for years to come. Like yeah. between Keon Sanders and Colorado, Hugh Freeze at Auburn, Matt Rule in Nebraska. I mean, this is, it, it's a fun, it's a fun kind of hiring cycle. That's going to create only more drama. You know, it, it's really a shame that last year was like the craziest coaching hiring we've ever seen yeah. in college football, because this year, is so crazy, but it still kind of like pales in comparison to last year. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Oh yeah, between everything that happened last year and last year was like, oh, just when you think it's over, there's another yeah. another move happening. And I'm going to add one of the two finalists for the Stanford head coaching job is Jason Garrett, which would be, which would be very. Can you imagine Jason Garrett and Deion Sanders going at it once a year in the Pac-12? He's going to bring like, he's going to bring like, that golf clap to Stanford Cardinal. <laughs> It's like playing Mad Libs with the college coaches. You're just like, okay, Deion Sanders at Colorado and Jason Garrett at Stanford. I yeah, I, 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 I don't almost, know if it's going to happen. But I, I almost had a heart attack for a second because I. It's funny because I did read that report right before we start. We got we got on, and I heard Jason Kelsey when you said that, and I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. I was like, what? The, he's going to retire from the NFL to go to college? <laughs> And then I heard Garrett, and I was like, okay. I, I almost had a heart attack there for a second. But um, so totally random. But while we're on the subject of Jason Kelsey, do you do you watch New Heights at all? Do you get a chance to listen to it? It Not really, really. is. Ex- it, I mean, it, it is the second best sports podcast in the world. Yeah, uh, I saw the clip. I, I hope I hope we're number one, right? Yeah, that's why okay. I said second best. Yeah. I did. I All I saw this past week was they had a clip of uh, – they had Patrick Mahomes on, and he yes. – yeah, he said that uh, Matt Nagy essentially uh, helped him cheat his way to getting drafted by the Chiefs, which is yeah. Amazing. It was it was it was that whole story was really really funny. I'm only about I'm kind of behind on podcasts between you, you know listening to uh, Rogan, uh, Theo Vaughn, and then that I have a very weird like podcast like it, it, it's comedy and then just one sports podcast. <laughs> it's, That's but, good though. You you, know, you, need, you need diversity. Yeah, but. Uh, no, it, it's it's been really great so far. And Patrick Mahomes, man, I know that he doesn't, you know, especially now that like Jackson Mahomes and Brittany are kind of like on the back burner and he's not really in the, the headlines as much as he used to. He's a really, really like smart, funny individual. Like he's got some sense of humor. He's yeah. really funny. And in this episode, he especially sounds like Kermit the Frog. It's crazy. But I just, got, I just, I, I think the only really thing stopping him from being, from being like the next Troy Aikman in the booth is that, yeah. you know, we're talking 15 years from now, obviously, but 
but he, you know, are people going to be able to hear him sound like Kermit for three hours? Calling I game? mean, we listened to Tony Romo moan for three hours, so I guess we could listen to Patrick Mahomes sound like Kermit. Yeah, and and Peyton Manning has a you know an unusually deep voice too. He's kind of hard to listen to, but he's so smart that he makes it work. So you know, maybe one day it'll work. Maybe or maybe Patrick Mahomes will just grow out of the Kermit voice. I don't know. I don't know. I think he's past puberty at this point. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if that'll work out for him, but. Um, yeah, I just had to, to mention that because it shed a little bit more light on Patrick Mahomes and how, how much of a smart individual he is now that he's not as much in the public eye outside of the football field as as he used to be because of his stupid brother and his annoying well, wife. see. I mean, the, the playoffs are coming. And that's usually when they make their when they make their mark. No, his wife, they're 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 listen, they're getting pregnant like every year. She's I, she had no kids a few years ago. She's got three now. Oh my god, they have three? I thought it was only two. I think it's three. I mean, I, I oh, could be wrong. Good Lord. But I think that's maybe why he's doing that to shut her up. Maybe like it's I like, oh, you can't come to a football game. Like you're pregnant. Like either that or he paid her off. But um, <laughs> but I have a feeling Jackson Mahomes is gonna be on the scene again. Come play okay, it is two. It is two children. I don't know why I thought it was three. Maybe I'm just predicting the future. I did. Maybe by the next, maybe by episode 21, they'll have four kids. There's going to be a third one then. But maybe that means she can she can go to some playoff games then if they've only got two. Uh, kids. Well, I hope I hope not. But um, it's yeah, I mean, they lose, if they lose though, then then it's cool to see them there. And to be to be clear, I don't really root against Patrick Mahomes, but it no, is. I don't funny. either. It is funny to see them there when things don't go very well. Yeah. I love that they always find her in the crowd, too. They'll <laughs> always somehow show her or Jackson at some point and be like, and there they are. It's like they're unicorns. They're like, they're here. They're supporting. It's like, well, usually a spouse and a brother usually support any NFL player, but it's just more funny when it's Jackson Mahomes and Brittany. Um, wow. What a side topic there. But uh, – <laughs> I think it's time that we move on to something that's, um, you know, I, I couldn't wait, Dan. When, like yesterday when we were, when we scheduled the episode and then this morning, I'm like, my God, I can't wait to talk about MLB. And then I'm looking and I'm like, wow, there's only been like four or five good deals. But it's just the deals, as I mentioned earlier, were just so impactful and so ludicrous in terms of length that – it warrants some massive discussion. And I think, I think honestly, before, you know, Judge, obviously, Bogarts was a big one, DeGrom. Really, actually, you could lump this into DeGrom, actually, and Verlander. The Trey Turner deal doesn't make as much sense to me as I think it made to other people. 11 years for a 29-year-old shortstop that's a, that is is a speedster by trade. Now, now, granted, I know that Trey Turner isn't just a speedster, and even when his speed starts to decline, you know, he's he still adds so much more. He's great defensively. He's a good hitter as well. 11 years, though, for Trey Turner, a 29-year-old player? Then you turn around, then you get a two-year deal for 40-year-old Justin Verlander, a five-year deal for Jacob DeGrom, an 11-year deal for 30-year-old Xander Bogarts. It's like, and then not to mention, and uh, I mean, the one that sounds less ludicrous than all of them is is um, Aaron Judge, a nine-year deal at, what is he going to, he's going to be 30. I think he's already 30. I think he's So either way, he'll be 39 at the end of it. So like, that's the youngest that any of these guys will be at the end of their deals. I saw a stat then before we really get into anything, or I heard a stat, and maybe you heard there's only been 
54 players in MLB history that have been over 270 pounds. Okay. It's only 54 out of like 28,000 MLB players that have graced a baseball field. I was going to say baseball stadium. There has been one that has hit a home run past the age of 37. I did hear the stats, so I know who it is. But it's, that I, one, when I heard it the first time, I was, <laughs> I was amazed. And that one is who, Dan? Bartolo Colon. That has to be the wildest stat in MLB history. That that is crazy. That is insane. And also, it kind of shed a little bit of light. Now, this is Aaron Judge, a little bit of a different story. That his body composition kind of goes against everything that we've seen throughout history. Now, I know 54 players is a, is a, is a very, very small sample size compared to how many players there have been in MLB history. But you know, only one player of that size has hit a home run past 37, and it was Bartolo Colon. That's a little, that's a little um, enamoring, I guess you would say. But at the same time, I don't really think the Yankees had a choice. You know, you had to. I mean, listen, we talked about it. If if the Yankees got outbid by the San Francisco Giants. There was going to be mayhem in the Bronx. Yeah, I mean, when I start thinking, when I when those five minutes, when we had those five minutes where it looked like he was going to the Giants, um, thanks to John Heyman, I, I my that's where Arts my mind judge. <laughs> my <laughs> mind went toward like, well, what now? Like, what is the reason for then? This might have been what made the Yankees go the, the distance with the steal. What's the reason to go to the stadium now? You know, obviously, okay, like it's an experience, but like Nestor who are, Cortez, who are you going to see? Is it? It might be Nestor. Like I'm not going to see Josh Donaldson. You know what? What is gonna? What's gonna drive fans out? And in the past, when the Yankees have had stars like Judge, they've had an answer for that. They've had other guys. They really don't. I, I understand Stanton is a big name, but you know they don't have a surefire star. Um, maybe besides Garrett Cole, at least not offensively. Listen, um, you're right. No one moves the needle like Aaron Judge. No. He is the king of New York. Besides for Mike White, Aaron Judge is the king of New York. Like, it, And it, it sounds cliche, but that is true. You look at all the superstars that New York has on every sporting team. Aaron Judge is the king of New York. He is the straw that stirs the drink for the Yankees. I'm not going to – actually, last year was the first year of my life – that I did not go to a single Yankee game. And the reason why is because I, I hate Hal Steinbrenner and I hate Aaron Boone and I hate everyone essentially in the front office. And I refuse to give them money. I didn't buy any Yankee merchandise. I just watched them on TV. That was it. And uh, I, 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 I was fully prepared for that to continue throughout, throughout this year, especially after the arson judge uh, report. One I have to mention because we mentioned Mr. Cortez and Garrett Cole. One other quick thing. You probably know this already too because you know everything. Um, so Nestor Cortez actually got more Cy Young votes than Garrett Cole. Nestor Cortez got three. Garrett Cole got one. Nestor Cortez is set to make $727,000 next year. Where Aaron, Ju- Aaron Judge <laughs> Aaron Judge is going to make a lot more money than that. Yeah. Um, Garrett Cole makes $1.06 million per start. 
Isn't that crazy? So we need Lester to get paid soon. Oh, God, I really hope he doesn't have another season like that because then we're going to have to pay him $1.06 million per start too because in that in, in the way of voting, he's better than Garrett Cole. Yeah, it might be somebody else paying him $1.06 million per start. Yeah. I mean, the, the Cubs just got Jameson Tyone for four years, $68 million. That's fine. Um, if, the, if the Cubs want to pay him that much money, I'm okay with him leaving. Yeah, they, they can do it. They can take it. Yeah, they can do um, it. John Heyman reported today that Aaron Judge told teams he met with that he didn't want to surrender his legacy over dollars, which goes to what you're saying. I mean, it it pays to be the king of New York. By the way, I mean, listen, he can make he can make money through endorsement deals, sponsorships, yeah. anywhere. But being in New York helps, and it's going to help long term. Like you're gonna you're gonna make more money being. I understand you. Well, I was going to say you lose some money through the the you know the high taxes, but I guess with California, it's the same deal. Um, yeah. But you know, you can feel like you, your earning potential is more when you play for the New York team. I think that's why he didn't pick the Padres. I think the Giants, he didn't really care so much about his legacy because he felt like he could build a legacy because it's his hometown team. I mean, yeah. I I don't think that was the issue. Um, but the Yankees ended up offering the same as the Giants, so he went to uh, New York. The Padres which were, proves, which just proves what he said, right? Is that the, he. The, Padres were offering more, and that's why I think he. I think that's what he's getting at when he says he doesn't want to pick legacy. He doesn't want to pick dollars over legacy because what legacy are you going to build next to? You know, okay, maybe you can win a World Series with Juan Soto and Machado, but like, what what are you going to be like a San Diego icon? No. Yeah, no. I mean, it's it's true. I'm just glad that he kind of stuck to his word because I never wanted to think of Aaron Judge as a player that was like. You know, I, I want to, for the right price, I want to, you know, end my start and end my career here. And that's essentially what he's doing because in age 39 or age 40, he's not getting another contract after that. He might not even play until until the end of the contract, which is I don't I, I don't think that the Yankees are really expecting that. But if you can get, let's say if you're the Yankees and you can get five to six more years of elite production out of that contract, it's a slam dunk. I mean, if, oh, if yeah. this guy is if oh, yeah. this guy's hitting forty five plus home runs every single year for five to six years, you have to win a World Series in that window, like you know. But I'm just glad that he stayed. He decided to stay. Uh, I don't know where the Yankees would have went from there. You have to you have to think at that point that there had to be some kind of big trade on the, on the horizon to get some kind of star here. Or, or Carlos Correa at that point. I wouldn't mind that. I was actually – I actually I still think they should consider it. I think they should still consider it. He's in an interesting position because um, you look at these shortstop contracts, Turner and Bogarts, and he's in line to get a huge deal. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. especially with what Corey Seager got last year. But then at the same time, it's like, okay, well – how many shortstop needy teams are there now? Because the the Dodgers have reportedly won't do it. Apparently, the fans just don't like him that much because of the 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 Astro scandal, which I think is kind of ridiculous. Like that's, they should just get insane. over it. Um, but you know, okay, they're not going to do it. The Twins want him. Apparently, they haven't offered him what he wants because he hasn't signed with him yet. Um, but you know, the the Yankees won't take him. I'm, I'm assuming, even though the Red Sox haven't have a hole now, well, really they don't because Trevor Story is there. Even though the Red Sox have money, I don't, I don't think, I don't, it doesn't feel like they're going to spend it on him. Um, you know, so the Phillies filled their their shortstop void. 
you know, it's kind of like, well, who's left to give him that big contract? The Rangers like to spend money now, but they've they've got two shortstops there. Yeah. So I, you know, yeah, maybe, why not make it a third? Just put him at third base. <laughs> I listen. It wouldn't be the worst idea, but what what I mean, I read an article where it said, of course, the headline caught my eye. It was like how the Yankees could have Carlos Correa and Anthony Volpe on the same side of the infield. And I was like, well, sign me up for this article. Uh, And I read it and it was like, you know, he could play shortstop until Volpe is ready. And then he can make a Manny Machado, like, you know, how Machado was basically getting more time at shortstop or he was signed to be the shortstop really Mm -hmm. for San Diego. And then when Tatis came up, it was like, all right, you're going to go back to third. And like, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I think that that's an, it's, it's very interesting to think of. And I also read something that the Yankees are trying to shed salary by trading Josh Donaldson and Aaron Hicks. And my good Lord, that would be the piece de resistance of this offseason if they can get rid of those two abominations on offense. Yeah, well, that, that's, again, when I, when I heard that, when we thought that Aaron Judge was going to the Giants, my thought was like, how is it that we still have Josh Donaldson, Aaron Hicks, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, like all these guys that just can't hit, um, and we're going to lose Judge? Like, what, like what's this lineup going to look like next year? You still have some of those questions, but it looks a lot better when you have the guy who hit sixty-two. I mean, that's the that's the main thing. I will I'll worry about everything else. Yeah, we can figure that out. Yeah, um, you know, my concern is that they're not going to figure it out, and we're going to have. I mean, they sound pretty committed to having Josh Donaldson in the lineup again next. To be year. fair, honestly, like. This offseason is already a win for the Yankees because they – Yeah, but like what do you want to – you know, are we going to go to the ALCS again and lose there? I yeah, mean, probably. It doesn't feel but like they've risen their ceiling at all. Listen, the only two things I was really looking for this offseason was Aaron Judge and Carlos Rodon. So – Yeah, if, well, if they sign Rodon, I mean, now you're looking at Garrett Cole, Nestor, Rodon, and Luis Severino, who I believe Luis Severino will be even better than last year because he's yeah. further removed from all those injuries. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a – maybe the best one through four in the league. I mean, I'm not yeah. really thinking about other teams right now, but it's up there. Let me ask you a question. I, I, I've just thought of this as we were talking about it. I think it's, a, it's an interesting question, question to ask. We've seen constantly athletes bet on themselves. Has Aaron Judge done the best of any player that's ever bet on themselves before? Yeah, it's him and he Scherzer. Has to, right? It's him and Scherzer. Scherzer turned down something like I don't know, sixty years, one hundred and forty million from the Tigers um, before after his Cy Young season, and he ended up getting what did he get? I think it was seven years, two ten, which something like that. Um, you know, Judge technically did better than that, but then you know, Scherzer turned that into uh, another a World Series win. Uh, two two more Cy Youngs with the Nationals, and then he got obviously the gigantic, forty-five million dollars. Yeah, he got the gigantic contract with the Mets. You know who knows what his path would have been with the Tigers. Um, but that the reason why that was interesting for him is like, okay, we know Aaron Judge. Like you know, if he's healthy, he's going to hit. There's no doubt about it. Um, maybe it's possible he didn't raise the ceiling, but he probably wouldn't have ended up with a worse contract if he stayed healthy. Um, Scherzer was kind of a one-year wonder uh, at that time. You know, he yeah. he had good years with the Tigers before the Cy Young year, but he never had a dominant year, and he had that one dominant year with the Tigers. So that's when when he that's why when he bet on himself, people were like, "Oh, this is risky." Like you just had one great year, and all of a sudden you're going to turn down 140 million over six years. That's significant. 
Um, and then he, he came out and had another great year and turned it into 30 million a year, which at the time was, I think, the biggest contract for a pitcher ever. One, David one Price ended up beating it out uh, later in the year. <laughs> talk, yeah, talk about uh, regrets. But <laughs> at the time, 30 million a year for a pitcher was crazy. So he he did a great job and Judge did the same thing. Do we do we remember what that final offer was if Judge turned down? I know seven two ten. I think it was seven okay. two ten. Yeah. So he went from about thirty million to forty million a year with two extra years. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, because I remember the report came out when when like the rumors were swirling that it was like it's San Fran or bust for Aaron Judge. And that's when it came out when it was like, well, he did say that he was a little insulted by the first offer before the season. And I'm not going to lie. That really did scare me when he was like, listen, we're not going to talk about this until after the year is over. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm like, this is this is how it ends. I'm like, Hal, you son of a bitch. You've done it again. You've kerfluffled this one, too. Yeah, and- I mean, when he when when he looked like he was leaving, that was kind of my my thought was like. Well, maybe you could see the the you could see this coming. Like maybe you know maybe we should have been seeing all these things. You know what he said and and all this. Maybe we should have seen it coming that the the you know this was this was the likely result or at least a very possible result. Um, and maybe it was because I don't think he was all a negotiate. I think there was a lot of this was a negotiation tactic and a lot of it wasn't. I think there was I think there was some thought to going back to San Francisco. I don't think he would have ended up really in San Diego unless they nah. offered him even more. Hey, um, San Diego got a pretty good consolation prize. They did. Oh. Well, no, I want to no. ask you about that after this. But yeah, let I'll, me say, I think yeah, Judge, I, I think Judge, while while he while he did consider leaving. And while I think the Yankees messed up a lot of the, the process along the way, especially he obviously was bothered by the Yankees putting the offer out there. He said he was they thought he, I mean, he said to in this Time magazine thing that they did on him that it was like they were trying to turn the fans against him. And he's probably right. You know, you usually don't see teams come out and say this is what we offered him. While I like the transparency because of what I do in my life, you know, being uh, covering this sport. Um, and following along, while I like the transparency a lot, it's probably not fair to judge. And it's not something you see often to say, no. we offered him this, this, and that. Maybe after he leaves, you can say that, but not when he's still on the team. Um, well, I, I still think in the end, he really he really did see himself returning to the Yankees. I do think he considered yeah. the Giants because it was hometown team. Um but I think I think there was more truth than we thought in when he wore that that sweatshirt that said, um, New York or nothing or something like that. Yeah. He knows, he knows this is where he can have a statue one day and, you know, have his number. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to give him the statue now. I'm he's gonna <laughs> be the captain. I believe I, I firmly believe is going to be the captain. And that's, that's no, it's not like the NHL where there's captains left and right to be the captain of the Yankees is, is, I mean, remarkable. So yeah, I, I think that there's a sway to that. Definitely. I do want to know what you think about the Bogart's contract though. Cause that, that was odd. Um, you know, I, I like it and I don't at the same time, because now there's just a, a, a huge crowd. This essentially just confirms that when Tatis comes back healthy and off of his suspensions, that he's going to be the center fielder essentially, yeah. because, which also kind of scares me because of his injury history. Now you're going to have him out there in center field, you know, parading around anyway. So I mean, now you have Machado at third, 
Bogarts at short. I guess you have Haseon Kim at second, and then you put Jake Cronenworth at first base. Yeah, Haseon Kim, by the way, had a really good year last year. Great yeah. defensively, and he started to hit too. Yeah, so I guess – and, and that kind of sucks because don't you feel like – I mean, Jake Cronenworth has been a really, really good player for San, for San Diego the last few years, and I kind of feel like he's been slighted every offseason. I feel like they're like, well, Drake – Jay Cronenworth's cool, but we're going to move him somewhere else on on the other side of the on somewhere on the field. You know, I, I feel like I feel like he'll probably play first base because now Josh Bell is is uh, where Josh Bell signed in Cleveland, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, who else did they really have to play first base? Yeah, I mean, because they because last year it was Luke Voigt before it was Josh Bell and Eric yeah, Jones, and, and they're both gone. Cronenworth, Cronenworth has the size and he's got the glove to play first, yeah. so. I, mean, I guess, I mean, that's that's a hell of an infield. Yeah, the reason why you say, you know, he's he keeps kind of being the odd man out, it's because he can play all these positions. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, there's a, there's an upside and a downside to versatility. And, you know, the, the downside is you don't know where you're playing on a given day, and all of a sudden they sign another guy for $300 million and you're at a different position. But the good news is every time they sign somebody and make these big additions, you have somewhere to play. You're still in the yeah. mix. You never actually fall out. So Cronenworth is adds a lot of value because I mean this this lineup is the most ridiculous lineup in in baseball. I yeah, mean, they can stay healthy when when everyone's healthy. We're looking at so you got. I'm assuming the outfield is is going to be either Trent Grisham or Will Myers, right? Yeah, I mean, Trent Grisham in in left, Fernando Tatis in center, yeah, uh, Soto in in right, then Machado, Bogarts. Haseon Kim, Cronenworth, Victor Caratini, or they might go out and get someone better. I don't know. Caratini's pretty solid, so you know I don't mind that. Or Austin uh, Nola too. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Austin Nola, right? Right. Uh, I mean, it's that's a really really good lineup, and the pitching is still solid. I, I don't know. Now this is this kind of brings up the same issue that we had. In, when they traded for Juan Soto, it's like, well, now it's really, you know, World Series or bust. Yeah. because well, now, think- now it's tenfold because now you're putting another huge contract on the books. I this think they might be, they might have done this to prepare for Manny Machado leaving. Yeah. Um, in Because he can opt out. I think it's after this year. I don't know. I think it's after this year, but if that's I, a hell of a preparation, I got to tell you, it's well, been an yeah, eleven year, two hundred eighty million dollar contract. I, I know, especially for eleven years, because it's like, okay, he's leaving, but now you got this guy for another nine, ten years after that. Um, but or or if Machado doesn't opt out, you know, for what I don't, I can't see why he wouldn't opt out. If he, I mean, I don't even, even if he's hurt, he's got to opt out. He's been yeah. that good. Um, but if if for some reason he ends up staying, you know, then maybe Monsoto leaves. I mean, if Juan Soto hits 330 this year or something, um, you know, all of a sudden he might get the biggest contract in, in MLB history. And, you know, can you afford that? So so I think they're preparing for one of them to leave, to be honest. Uh, yeah. And if they don't if they don't leave, then even better. Because, but, but my point is this next year is the one year, maybe. It's got to be. Maybe the one year you have Soto, Bogarts, Tatis, and um, – Machado. See, I'm running out of I'm running out of guys. Yeah, it, I'm, it's, I'm it's, ridic- it's ridiculous. Like the lineup is legitimately ridiculous. But and I'm I'm very interested to see what the kind of year Juan Soto has with all this protection. Now, this was my thought when he went to the Padres. It's like, well, he's going to have protection in the lineup. He's going to be really good, and he wasn't. 
Um, but Tatis never came back. Josh Bell was pretty awful with the Padres for most of those two months. He really wasn't good. He's a first-half kind of hitter. Uh, Brandon Drury tailed off after that really hot first week with the Padres. So really all he had was Machado and Soto. But now if you can get both of those guys in the lineup, I think they're going to have no choice but to pitch to Soto. Um, and if they don't pitch to Soto or if he's really patient with it, uh, then obviously they're going to make them pay. They're going to make the pitchers pay. Bogarts isn't the kind of guy who's going to decline right now. He's too good of a contact hitter. Yeah. Um, at the same time, though, I mean, I don't know. Like, is he as good as he was three or four years ago? That kind of makes me wonder. Like, 11 years? I'm, I'm not sure I'd give him more than eight years. I just – even though he's going to be hitting for contact for a while, he's not a power hitter. You know, no. so now you're at the point where, okay, if the contact starts to tail off, you know, you've got now you've got issues. I mean, and he's not he's not necessarily the best defender either. Yeah, I don't know if I give eleven years to a guy whose only real asset is being a contact hitter. Um, yeah, um, yeah it, that I, I understand why they did it. Like they they traded money for um, for years. They traded money for length, so they're only paying him. I don't. I, I know it's weird to say only twenty five point four million a year. Yeah, it's not um, a crazy contract. You no, know, look at how much the numbers have gone up this year with the salaries. Yeah, six years from now, now like six. I, I listen, it's going to be annoying to have to pay him down the line. I just I can't envision him being really a, a, a very valuable player for eleven years. But twenty five million in like twenty thirty might not actually be that much at all. That might be the uh, that might be the the league minimum by then. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> especially like if the Padres actually fulfill their goals and win some championships. Yeah, then, then everything becomes null and void because twenty five million is nothing. So Ooh, yeah. you know, we may be looking at it where if he if he's able to sustain this for a little bit longer than we all expect, um, and and the Padres win win. $25 million is is really not a big deal yeah. at, at that I mean, point. The the San the San Diego Padres shockingly remind me of the LA Rams, where it's like, listen, they've been building for a couple of years, they've been getting closer and closer. It seems like inevitably one of these years they're going to win it, and then they're going to suck because of you know either declining or players leaving and stuff like that. But the last five plus years is going to be justified because you won a title. So I think that's really all San San Diego is looking for right now, where it's like, well, you know. We've put all these assets into the lineup. We've traded for guys. We've signed guys. Our payroll is $822 billion, you know. But when we win that World Series, everything's going to be justified. And, you know, that's kind of the way that the Rams took the route. And now they're 4-9 and nine and looking like one of the worst teams in the league. But, hey, they won the, the Super Bowl. So it's all justified. Yeah, the pitching is going to be interesting, though. Yeah. Because – you know, you the starting pitching because yeah. you Darvish is getting older. Uh, Joe Musgrove is going to be great. No, no problems there. Blake Snell is kind of the wild card. He was great uh, late in the year, like it's really. Right Mackenzie Gore, which sucks. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him here with the Nationals. But you know, if Blake Snell doesn't pitch like he, it feels like if Blake Snell doesn't pitch like he did late last year, then they they have huge problems because he. I mean, I, I'm so mystified by Blake Snell. He's like utterly dominant in some situations, and then in others, he's walking four guys in the first two innings. And but you know, if you Darvish pitches like he did more in uh, 2021 than 2022 because he's getting older, and Blake Snell isn't great, all of a sudden you have huge pitching issues. Um, unless they add somebody, they could add somebody. 
I wouldn't put it past them. They could do yeah. a good year too, because we've seen that before. But um, it, it's it's interesting because they're really going to have to rely on that lineup to score it's, runs. It's almost like the the I'm just going to keep using this this like for like. It's almost like the 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 Padres are missing their Odell Beckham right now, where it's like they got the pieces, and maybe they'll need that one piece throughout the year that's going to take them way over the top. And maybe that is a pitching. Maybe that is a pitching uh, move. It probably has to be, honestly, because if everyone stays healthy, obviously, you know, injuries come. I'm sure Machado will be on the 15-day IL once or twice. You know, same thing with Tatis when he comes back. Those injuries just come and go. It's That's how it happens. But I feel like they're going to need just one more piece. And then when they get that piece, it's almost inevitable. But I, I hope for for the front office's sake and and the sake of finances, I hope that they win the World Series either this year or next year. But it, I feel like it kind of has to be this year. Um, yeah, I mean, then, you know, if, if Machado leaves or something, and they they go out and spend on some pitching, who knows? I mean, they could they could do it after that. I mean, look what the look what the uh, the Nationals did. They lose Bryce Harper, and but because of the strength of the team and because of Scherzer and. Strasburg and Patrick Corbin, who was good back then, I promise. Uh, they still managed to pull it off. So, you know, I think that's that's what they're going for here is like, okay, even though this is the, the year where you have all the talent, you don't necessarily need to win this year because they're setting it up so that there's talent every year. You know, maybe not the same. Yeah, we've also been saying that for the past couple of years with the Padres now, though. So now you kind of have to start putting But you know what? But, but look, they, they didn't have – Tatis at all this past year. They yeah. just didn't have what they wanted. And they still managed to get to the NLCS and come three wins away from a World Series appearance. So I think that kind of justified it to themselves. It's like, okay, you know, clearly, even if we don't have our best year and we deal with adversity, we've got enough talent now that we can make something happen in October. Like no matter who they, they I mean, they went and beat the Dodgers, who everybody thought was going to win the World Series. So I think now, you know, they're they're adding this talent, thinking guys may come and go. But if we just keep kind of if we keep the cycle going where we bring in the talent, uh, we're going to be in we're going to be in it in October and then we have a shot. So, um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's all going to work out. Like I said, you need pitching in October and I don't know if they have the pitching yet. They kind of are relying on Joe Musgrove to have like the game of his life every time he goes out there in October right now. Maybe that changes. We'll see. Maybe they have maybe they do make an addition because obviously they're. I think they're involved with that Japanese uh, starter Kodai Senga. Hope I'm saying his name right. Who's out? Yeah, there. no, you're right. So maybe maybe they do add it, and maybe they do add somebody else. But it's they they put all their chips on the table again. It, it's just funny how we had this conversation when they got Juan Soto, and it's like, well, they're all in now. There's they've done all they could do, and then they they add another two hundred eighty million dollar contract after they were trying to get Trey Turner and Aaron Judge separately, of course. Insane. Insane. Um, I'm just checking the score right now of the uh, first quarterfinal of the World Cup. It's still a pretty evenly matched. Brazil, Croatia, 0 0, 79th minute, 50 uh, 50 possession. So, something that you're not used to seeing with a Brazil national yeah, team is, is uh, sharing possession. Usually they dominate possession, but. Especially because Croatia has not looked as. Terrific as well, obviously not as terrific as 2018, but well, Croatia is just extra time merchants, they just know yeah. how to win. Well, I mean, up. they're getting close now, <laughs> yeah, 
they, they just know they know how to win later on in the games. But I'm kind of glad that, that we transitioned over to that. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what has been going on. Obviously, uh, last week we did not record an episode. Uh, the Netherlands did beat the United States. I thought the did, I thought the United States played very very well off like in the midfield and offensively, defensively, especially on that third goal, just a lapse of concentration. But at that point, you're pushing so many numbers forward that it doesn't even matter really on the defensive end. We knew that they were going to have to run and gun if they wanted to get back on the defensive side to to not let up any more goals. But um, you know, sort of sort of kind of disappointing end to the United States World Cup journey there. I definitely thought that they could have went um, to the quarterfinals and I've probably lost to Argentina. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, now we're, now we're talking about the quarterfinals as, as the quarterfinal game is on right now, the first of four. So you got Croatia, Brazil, Netherlands, Argentina, and you got England and France, and you got Portugal. And there is one outlier in the final eight, and that's Morocco. And Morocco has been pretty exceptional in the fact that the way that they play soccer is diagonal balls and speed. So that's basically how, how you have to look at it. You have one of the best crossers in world football, and that's Hakeem Zayak on uh, on one side. And he plays for Chelsea. He is a fantastic crosser of the football. And really that whole right side is just speed. you got Hakeem Zayak, and then you have Ashraf Hakimi on one side. And Hakimi can run for days and days and days. And they even said an extra time. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the game against Spain. But, I saw the end. I saw the uh, the second half. And they were just basically the announcers were like, "My God, Hakimi could run for another 120 minutes." The guy did. Everyone else on the field is exhausted, and this guy's just running up and down the flank, up and down the flank, up and down every time. He's tremendous. Um, also, apparently, because they both do play for PSG, apparently Ashraf Hakimi and Kylian Mbappe had a race one time, and Hakimi actually beat Mbappe, which is something that I. I, I don't know if I, I'd have to see to believe that because I think Mbappe is not only one of the fast one of the fastest players in world football, probably in the world. He's honestly one of the fastest guys. But yeah, I mean Morocco has been fantastic so far this this World Cup. There's always that one team, that one dark horse that somehow makes a charge either to the quarters or the semis. And I'm not gonna lie with you, Dan. I, I honestly think that Morocco have a, a real shot at beating Portugal. And the reason why is because they play such concise, organized defense. And and I they've feel allowed, like... They've allowed, what, one goal? One goal. Cup? I mean, that's that's incredible. And they were not They were in the group with Spain and Germany, right? Uh, no, they were in the group with... Uh, uh, let me see. Hold on. The oh, group. no, that's right. They just beat Spain. Yeah, they were in with yeah. uh, Belgium and Croatia. Yeah, but still... Still, yeah. Belgium with their firepower, Croatia has great forwards as well. They just seemingly can't score. I don't know what's wrong with them, but I think they just play for for the extra thirty minutes every single time in the knockout round. They're just like, you know what? We're fine. We're fine with penalties. It's okay. And the, but, the only goal they allowed was an own goal. Yeah, Canada. Yeah, I mean that that that's such a run to to go through four games in the World Cup. Uh, essentially allowing no goals and, you know, and you're Morocco. Yeah. But they've had, I mean, if, you know, you look at them on paper, they're not particularly exciting, especially up front. But like I said, Zayak, Hakimi, and then you have Bono and goal who was sensational against Spain. 
And then you also have Romain Sice as well, who plays for uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers in England. They, they have the talent at the back. That's the thing. And they kind of play that run and gun style where it's like, you know, if, if you get caught out on a counterattack against Morocco, that's, that's tough sailing for you to get back because of the speed that they play with. You know, they have Amrabat in, um, in midfield as well. He also kind of pulls the strings in the middle of that, in the middle of that midfield. So they, they have the players and this is probably the most favorable matchup for them as well, because Portugal is a team. I mean, they just blew six past Switzerland, but Switzerland really, who are we kidding? They, they, they aren't the Switzerland of world cups past. They kind of just squeaked in there as well. Um, you know, Portugal are old. It's really the only way that you could put it. Portugal are old, and against this young Morocco team that likes to run, I could see them getting stretched. And and you know the back play has been pretty finicky for Portugal, especially you you go back to that game against Ghana where they gave up those two goals, those two pretty easy goals as well. Uh, you know it's it's something to think about. And then of course you have England and France, which is the premier matchup of the. Uh, of the quarterfinals, in my opinion. Obviously, all eyes are going to be on Netherlands and Argentina as this is Lionel Messi's final World Cup. This is Cristiano Ronaldo's final World Cup. So you want to see those guys go as far as possible. And believe it or not, uh, you have Netherlands and Argentina and Croatia and Brazil. There's a very real possibility that we could see Argentina and Brazil in the semifinal, and we could see Portugal and France or Portugal and England. And there is a way that it's set up where if they both somehow make it, we could see Cristiano Ronaldo versus Lionel Messi in the World Cup final. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope it hey, happens. I absolutely hey, hope it happens. I don't like these. I don't like these. Uh, you know, these two obvious storylines. Just like you know, it reminds me of last year when everybody's like, when the Patriots were winning and the Buccaneers were playing well. Everybody's like, are we going to get Brady against the Patriots in the Super Bowl? And then nothing like it happened. I don't know. I like I. I don't need to, I feel like I don't need to hear about that storyline for, you know, a whole. I'm just saying this though, Dan, think about it like this. Obviously with every sport comes the, who is the goat? And I firmly believe that despite what everyone says with Pele, listen, Pele was, if Pele played in today, he wouldn't be able to shine anyone's shoes. I think, you know, whatever. Maradona was fantastic. He was very old. Ronaldo was fantastic. Not this Ronaldo, obviously. Uh, Brazilian Ronaldo was fantastic as well. These are the these are the two greatest soccer players of all time, between Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. I personally think, on my end, I think Messi is better than Ronaldo. The reason why is because he's more of a he's more of a string puller than Ronaldo is. Ronaldo, when it comes to goal scoring, he is far and away better than Messi. He is clinical. He's He's fantastic. But in terms of all-around team play, I think Lionel Messi is far and away better than Ronaldo. He he drops back in, an, in a, a false nine or a 10 position. You know, he creates chances for his teammates as well. It's a real team football game with, with Lionel Messi. But I think that that would be the one true who is the GOAT if we got that matchup. I think whoever wins that would have that. You can't, you can't argue that because what if I say, what if, Ronaldo beats Messi in the final and I go, oh, I think Messi's better. And it's like, well, Ronaldo beat him in the world cup final. So what, what do you have to say about that? Right. You know, Ronaldo, I, it's just a, it's just a fun storyline. Yeah. Ronaldo has been, it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic with him too right now. Cause he came off the bench in that, in that last game where they, 
obliterated. Who do they, who do they destroy in the Switzerland? Switzerland. Oh yeah, Switzerland. Ronaldo's playing career has taken an interesting turn to the point where it's like kind of everyone has turned their back on him. I don't know if you heard about that whole thing between Eric Ten Hag and and the the Manchester United brass, and they were basically like, "Look, you're gone. We don't want you here anymore." So he's he's basically a free agent right now. He's only playing for Portugal as of right now. And there doesn't seem to be a long list of teams that really want him either. So it, it's kind of interesting. This could very well be Ronaldo's swan song as, as a player. I mean, he's still playing at top level. I still think he's a top five player in the world, honestly. Um, it's been a little bit of rough sledding for him. And then on the opposite side, you had Messi, who's still being a top three player in the world and who's just been fantastic. Uh, he's adapted to his life in France very, very well. I, th- I just think it's an interesting storyline. I think it would be something that we would finally get. Either it would be closure or it would raise a lot more questions. So I think it would just be something that would be fun to look for. It would be. I mean, could you imagine? I think the internet would break if they ended up playing each other. Oh, Maybe that's it, would be the most watched, it would be the most watched sporting event in the history of the world. Yeah. Definitely. Or she should bring them off the bench. Imagine. <laughs> Imagine they both don't play. All the hype, <laughs> all the hype just doesn't play. I mean, yeah, <laughs> so it, Messi gets injured in warmups, and Ronaldo just doesn't show up. <laughs> that would be, of course, that would happen. But I think uh, I think we covered all our bases. This was a I, I really really enjoyed this episode. Uh, I mean, I enjoy all of our episodes. Let's get that clear. I enjoyed this one because we really got to flex our muscles on our knowledge on other sports other than just football. So I I really enjoyed this a lot. Uh, Dan, I I mean, we've we've done 20 episodes. I'd hope that you'll have me back for episode 21. Uh, I know I've been a guest. I've been a guest on your show now for 20 episodes. So I I hope you have me back for next week. How about we'll do a deal? I'll have you on for at least the next five. Oh, my God. I'm getting a a multi-episode contract. Can't turn that down. No, I need an 11-year, $280 million deal. You're going to have to go to the Padres for that. The Padres are, are willing to spend on anyone with a pulse, anyone with talent. They'll take you. Oh, man. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 20 of the ASM Podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed. Please leave a rating or a review on apple if you are listening on apple i'd love to get those numbers up a little bit same thing on spotify you could leave us a rating and uh thank you guys for your continued support dan thank you as always for being a fantastic co-host thank you as well i i think you did a great job I'll as stop. always I'll uh, stop. but yeah thank you thanks everybody for listening to episode 20 of the asm podcast this was kind of a, a little bit of a throwback to the the style of episodes that we did back near the start before the NFL season. Uh, but it was, the, it was the right time to do one. I think there's so much going Definitely. on right now um, across the baseball world, college football. Hope everybody heard how impassioned I was about uh, Max Duggan and Caleb Williams and about the Heisman race. Uh, next week, you know, we, we may – I feel like there's a little bit – there might be a little bit less going on in the sports world, um, you know, heading into Christmas, the holiday season. Uh, but the NFL season is hitting the stretch run heading into the final five weeks of the year. So still going to be a lot to talk about. So thank you guys for listening and we will see you next week.